Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue with Dr. John's series in the book of Jude today called The One True Faith. So let's turn in our Bibles to Jude, verses 4 to 13, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled Perverting Grace. Modern-day Christianity is infected with a disease that, unless it's addressed and removed, it's going to utterly destroy the North American church, leaving it in utter ruin. See, that disease is called lawlessness and a careless attitude about sin. In a recent survey done on the state of theology in North America, Legionnaire Ministries found that, in their words, evangelicals have a great concern for the gospel, the evangel. Yet a majority of them also express some views that are contrary to the truth of the Bible. You know, for example, although evangelicals believe that Jesus died on the cross for their salvation, many do not fully understand the gravity of sin. For instance, a majority of evangelicals agreed with the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. And a great majority disagreed with the statement, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Now, given that, one has to wonder why Jesus died. I mean, if sin is not a seismic issue, and if all people are good, then why did Jesus die? Since the vast majority of evangelicals say it's true that Jesus died for my sins, and yet more and more are saying that sins are no big deal, one wonders how long the first statement can hold into the next generation. You know, we've embarked in the study of the book of Jude, a book that calls for Christians to fight for the truths that were once handed down to the saints. And today, we look at the details as to why Jude offers up a declaration of war. Jude wants us to know about the false teachers. What kind of people are they? So let's start with Jude verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, Jews had sensed a dangerous development in the early church. By calling the false teachers certain people who have crept into the church unnoticed, he's contrasting these people with the people whom he has called the chosen, those who have received mercy from God and now enjoy peace with God. Jude says the false teachers are not saved. Jude tells us that these people are distorting the gospel. They were never among God's people. And that shouldn't surprise us. I mean, after all, in Matthew 13, where Jesus delivers the parable of the wheat and the tares, he indicates that Satan himself will send his servants among the people of God. But what is it that these people are teaching? Jude says that it is two things. The first is that they change the grace of God into sensuality. One can almost imagine how that was done. I mean, sensuality was very much a part of the Greek or Roman world. It was everywhere. Temple prostitutes were common. Orgies were also common. Sex outside of marriage was common. I can almost hear these teachers. I mean, can't you? God is gracious. He understands our weaknesses. These sins, if if they're sins at all, they're not a big deal. And Jude says there's also a second thing these false teachers do. They deny our master and Lord. You know the word for master, what's the word? Sovereign. They deny that either Jesus or God the Father rules all things, and therefore, they deny that God has the right to order all things according to his will. These teachers instead would have argued again for grace. 
Their emphasis would not have been on the glory of God and of Christ, but rather on human freedom and the human right to choose our own pathway. But Jude has words for them. He says that long ago, these people were designated for their condemnation. Now, I suspect we can make this a longer discussion than should be warranted here. Yeah, I suspect that all that Jude is saying is that these men are destined for destruction. Their condemnation is right now hanging over them. They're already ruined even while they walk among us. Now, it is possible for people in Jude's day to think that this was a problem that had never happened before. You know, and many of us in our day, you know, when we see, you know, some Christians condoning all manner of sexual activities outside of heterosexual marriage, Well, we might also think that this kind of thing has just never happened before. But here, Jude helps us. This has often happened before. And then in order to show us that that's true, Jude points out three examples from the past where it has happened. I'm reading Jude verses 5 to 7. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. You know, just so that we're clear, the three examples that Jude uses come from first, the story of the Exodus, then second, from the rebellion of some of the angels, and then third, from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, before we go into the details, please understand what these examples mean. Jude is not saying, look, guys, I know there are false teachers who are promoting sensuality and lawless living, and since this kind of thing has happened in the past, it's really not that big of a deal. No, no. No, no, he's saying the opposite. When this kind of thing happened in the past, he's saying it was a very big deal. It was so big, the human race has never forgotten the cataclysm that has happened in consequence of those sins. Jude is telling the Christians of his day that unless these matters are dealt with and dealt with thoroughly, the consequences of unchecked sin will be so horrible, it will be remembered through the annals of history as one of the great horrors of the past. Now, I hope he's got your attention. So let's look at the first historical example. Jude says that they should remember their Old Testament well, and by the way, we should as well. He reminds them of God's great deliverance from Egypt. God devastated the Egyptians with 10 plagues. Then he parted the Red Sea for Israel. Then he fed them daily with manna from heaven. He led them to Mount Sinai, and then he gave them the pattern for worship. And what was the upshot of all of that? Well, that whole generation was destroyed. They did not believe, but instead went their own way. About 150 of them died every single day on average for 38 years. God marched them in circles, the longest funeral march in history until that whole generation died and never made it to the promised land. That's how God treats rebellion. And what's the lesson? You can have every imaginable experience of God, but if you will not submit to his authority and repent and believe, you will be as lost as those people were. The second example is a little more complicated. Jude mentions the angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority. 
You know, at some point in time, and Jude doesn't tell us when, but at some point in time, some angels rebelled against God. So this example is straightforward. There were angels who stood before God and saw his glory, and yet they rebelled. And consequently, says Jude, they are now kept in eternal chains. Now, that doesn't mean that these angels are now locked into hell or some other prison. You know, if that were true, there would be no demons plaguing the human race today. But there are. Rather, Jude is saying that these demons are living in spiritual darkness. They are chained to their sentence of judgment. That is, they cannot now escape the reality that they will be judged. They will eventually be thrown into the lake of endless burning. That is their destiny. It is chained to them, that in spite of the fact that they've seen the glory of God. See, again, the application is obvious. It is possible to stand before the throne room of God and end up with an eternal sentence of endless suffering if one rebels against the authority of God or against his law. But there's a third historical illustration. This one gives us great pause. That's because the situation of Sodom and Gomorrah is most similar to the situation that the Christians in Jude's day were facing. See, you might remember Sodom and Gomorrah. At one point in time, those two cities, which must have bordered on what is now the the Dead Sea, but at that time, the sea was anything but dead. It must have been a beautiful body of water. Surrounding region was a well-watered plain. It was extremely fertile. And the people of those two cities had become extremely rich. So much so that kings from far away had heard about their wealth and they had wanted what these people had. From a rich and prosperous and a beautiful place to a disaster of burning tar and pitch that so devastated that land that now, more than 4,000 years later, that land has never recovered but is a wasteland. What happened? Jude says, you should know. You should pay attention. You should learn from them so that you will never repeat those same sins. Did you know that Back to the Bible Canada has a weekly video Bible teaching series? All videos, both archived and current, are easily accessible on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or online at backtothebible.ca. The videos offer the excellence of Bible teaching you've come to expect from Dr. John Newfeld, providing insight into God's Word, God's character, and the life He has called us to live. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. There you can also access past video series and programs, including our recent virtual worship event, The Gathering, 45 wonderful minutes of worship, Bible teaching, laughter, and encouragement. For more information or to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. tells us that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah practiced two sins that greatly offended God. The first, he says, was sexual immorality. That's a blanket term. It stands for all sexual activity outside of marriage. And from the account in Genesis, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that was true. 
You know, as an example, it seems from reading Genesis that it was a custom for the people in those two cities to demand sex of anyone who entered their cities as a stranger. But Jude says they also pursued what he calls unnatural desire. He's referring to the rampant homosexuality in Sodom. He calls it unnatural because God created human beings to be in a covenant relationship, one man to one woman. Breaking out of that man-woman relationship for intimacy is an act that is contrary to how God created the nature of a man and a woman. Now, says Jude, on the day when God rained fire and sulfur from heaven, that act is intended to be understood as a type. You know, a type is an event that happens. It happens literally in history. But the event itself speaks of a greater event that is to come in the future. So the fire and sulfur, says Jude, that reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah speaks of a greater reality, of an eternal fire. So please don't pass by this quickly. Eternal means eternal. When Christ offers us eternal life, it means not just a quality of life that's filled with joy, but it's also a life that never dies. It's a life that can never end. That's what eternity means. It means eternal in its duration. Consider that. Take it to heart. Eternal fire as punishment, and that's exactly what we find in the end of verse 8, is a punishment that never ends. It's eternal in its duration. So consider for a moment how those poor, helpless souls must despair when they face such a prospect. And that, says Jude, back in verse 4, is the designation or the destiny for all who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. So i got to stop here because I've got to observe two things. First, notice that Jude is not saying this happens to all who struggle with sensuality. See, we can struggle with sin and confess our sins and then even struggle again and fail. But as long as we confess our sins and submit to Christ's lordship and ask the Holy Spirit to help us and to give us the victory, then we're in grace. Christians should be compassionate with those who struggle because our God is compassionate. But the situation is far different for those who teach sensuality and those who revel in it and those especially those who teach a form of Christianity that makes sensuality acceptable. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of grace unto holiness, not a gospel of grace unto corruption. And so having given the three examples from history of why this matter of holiness is so essential, Judah is ready now to describe the attitude of the false teachers. He wants us to see their inner motivation. And as before, Jude arranges his material in groupings of three. Not only are there three historical examples, now he gives us three descriptions of the present-day false teachers. So I'm reading Jude verses 8 to 11. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Notice the first description is given in verse 8. 
And as we examine verse 8, we should keep verse 3 in mind. You see, in verse 3, Jude mentioned a faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, a faith that is grounded in the once-for-all time revelation of the apostles and the prophets. That is, Jude says the true faith is grounded in the Bible, with the New Testament serving as the centerpiece. In essence, Jude is arguing for something that many years later would be called sola scriptura, scriptures alone. You remember that the Protestant Reformation said, you know, we don't care what the church teaches. We care about what the Bible teaches. But the false teachers are not Bible people. Notice again in verse 8. First, they rely on dreams. They're dreamers, he says. They claim they have an immediate revelation from God. They think that God himself spoke to them. See, their source of authority is God spoke to me, and he said, and then they tell of a dream or some other mystical revelation. That's what they do, says Jude, rather than saying the scripture says. Does that sound contemporary? Well, it does to me. You know, the amount of Christian teachers who rely on what the Lord showed them rather than a faithful study of scripture is alarming. And more so, the amount of people who follow such teachers, well, that's equally alarming. There's more, says Jude. They defile their flesh, which simply means they commit sexually immoral acts. That is, once having loosed themselves from Holy Scripture, they feel free to act in lawless ways. Now, I don't want to overestimate what I'm about to say, but I do see a pattern. See, ask yourself this question. How many Christian leaders have fallen into sexual sin? probably a lot. Now ask, how many of those leaders were faithful word-for-word Bible teachers? And I know there were some, but not many compared to those who were not. And then, says Jude, they reject authority. That is, they scorn God's authority over them. Now, this is also a problem today. Now, I was recently shown an email in which a so-called brother based his entire lifestyle and choices as well as his goals in life on the basis of what God had shown him privately. Listen, whenever we replace the revelation that's found in Scripture with a personal, privatized revelation, we are in danger of being lawless people. Now, that's the first description of the false teachers. These perverters of grace rely on private revelation over against Scripture. Now, the second condemnation, it's found in verse 8c to 10. Notice the last part of verse 8. Jude says, these men blaspheme the glorious ones. The word here is the word doxios, and it literally means glories. But it can be translated as celestial beings. So the word describes the angels that surround the throne of God. And then Jude contrasts their attitude to the attitude of the greatest of all of the angels, Michael. And here he tells a story that Bible readers have never heard. Jude is quoting from an ancient non-biblical book called The Assumption of Moses. Now, please understand that Jude is not saying that the Assumption of Moses is inspired of God. So think of it this way. See, if I quote from the Bible at one moment and then from C.S. Lewis in the next, I'm not saying that C.S. Lewis is equal in authority to the Bible. The Bible is the final word, but C.S. Lewis does have some things to say that are true, even though they're not inspired of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's going on here. The assumption of Moses tells him an account in which Moses had just died on Mount Nebo, and the archangel Michael is disputing with Satan over the body of Moses. And the point is not that such a thing happened, even though it did. 
The point is that in the heat of the dispute, Michael did not directly rebuke Satan. That was not his to do. Instead, he says, the Lord rebuke you. See, Michael was aware that even before Satan himself, he had no right to pronounce judgment. That was God's purview. Contrast that, says Jude, to what these false teachers do. They feel completely comfortable in in rebuking angels. Such is the nature of their arrogance. And then the third example of the false teachers is their arrogance. These men, says Jude, are like Cain, who murdered his brother in full view of God, and like Korah, who rebelled against Moses in full view of God. These men don't even fear God. Note verses 12 and 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. What a mouthful! But the images are startling. Hidden reefs sink ships. Shepherds who let the sheep starve while they feed themselves, clouds that never bring rain, trees that never bear fruit, wild waves that cast up the foam of their shame, wandering stars. These men, says Jude, are evil. Not men of just merely differing opinions. These are evil men. Watch out for them, says Jude. John, just, well, there's a whole lot of stuff here, but just thinking about, you know, if we don't understand what we foundationally believe, we're led astray, we're led by all of these uh, sinful desires, and this is what Jude is speaking to. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I know it's King James English, but let me just say it. I mean, there was something that we used to always say, thus saith the Lord, you know, and, and then we would refer to the text of Scripture. I'm going to be speaking in a church that's now been here for 200 years, and I've been reading some of the history of this church. And one of the people who were the founder of this church, they called him, uh, you know, uh, this Bible person. It didn't matter which verse you talk about. He'd tell you the book, the exact reference, and even the half verse uh, that it was. I mean, it's just so grounded in the words of Scripture. And unless that becomes, you know, our, uh, you know, our moniker, that, that this is who we are, uh, you can't learn the ways of God until you learn the text of Scripture. Unless we're Bible people, we're not God's people. So that has to be drummed into us so that we give ourselves to the Word of God. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of Jude, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. I will tell. This is a series where Dr. Newfeld focuses on the theme verse and a command found in Psalm 78, verse 4. In it, we're compelled by these words, I will not hide the great deeds of the Lord, which he has done in the past from the next generation. This popular series provides you the tools and incentive to share the gospel. It will help inspire you rather than guilt you into action. It reminds us that we each bear responsibility to intentionally share the truths of the gospel, the God of the Bible, his deeds, and his provision for all those that believe. This month, we're excited to offer this entire series on CD for anyone who would ask. Our gift to encourage and inspire. Ask for a copy of I Will Tell for yourself or even pass it on to a friend. 
All you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.